Well, tonight we're beginning uh, a new uh, series uh, on our Wednesday night services. Um, there's kind of two different approaches to preaching uh, and teaching the Bible. And uh, one of them is a topical approach. In other words, you take a topic and you take that issue or whatever it is and then you'll take either one verse or maybe a series of verses. Sometimes you jump all over the Bible doing it, but you're pretty much just trying to nail one particular thought through the whole message. This is generally what I do on Sunday mornings. On uh, Wednesday nights, uh, I try to take the other tack, which is taking verse by verse and keeping everything in context. Now, what we just did is we finished uh, doing a, a verse by verse, actually even more than that, just piece by piece look at the Lord's Prayer. It took us, I think, 12, 13 weeks to get through it all. Um, but that's fine. It just helps us to really look one step at a time uh, at what the Bible is saying. Now, we're finished with that. We finished that last week. Now we're going to begin uh, another study. What I'm going to do is we're going to do uh, a study of the book of James. Okay, so for the next many, 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 many weeks, <laughs> we're going to be going verse by verse. And both ways of, of preaching are certainly legit. Usually people tend to do one or the other. I like doing both. So the nice thing about the Wednesday nights is it gives us an opportunity to jump to the verse by verse thing and let you see how these things are written in context. Um, James is one of my uh, favorite books uh, in the Bible. At one time as a young man, <clears throat> back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth, I... Uh, I memorized the entire book of James. I could quote to you the entire book verbatim, word for word, and not make a mistake one time. I was really, well, I got to clap for it, but I just, I can't do it now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, talk about really learning a book of the Bible. I mean, that's how into the book of James I was. So it's still a favorite book of mine. Again, I can't do that anymore, but uh, uh, I'm still pretty familiar with it. Um, <clears throat> James is kind of an interesting uh, book. We've got, uh, I got new glasses today and they're already smudged up. Excuse me, I have the attention span of a fly. There you are. Um, James is, uh, the Bible has different types of books. You'll have, for, for example, in the Old Testament, you'll have books that are very historical. The, the comparable part of that in the New Testament would be like the Gospels, which is the history of, of the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts, which is the history of this, the beginning of the church. Then you have uh, uh, books of uh, instruction, you know, particularly in the Old Testament of the Levitical law. Well, much of the epistles that the apostles wrote, and the apostle Paul wrote most of them, but we also have Peter and, and James and uh, John. And, uh, they took... Um, uh, that's the version of the New Testament of teaching people how to live Christianity. Just like in the Old Testament, you had the Levitical law of how to live life as a Jewish person. Uh, then there's a, the book called the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is all over the place. It's just little tiny bits of wisdom. Little dee 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 It's a very, very neat book to read. I encourage you to read it. Uh, just, you know, maybe a, even a, a few verses a day from the book of uh, Proverbs. Very interesting. But the closest thing to the book of Proverbs in the New Testament would be the book of James. The book of James kind of jumps from, you know, zing, 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 just kind of all over the place. As like, you know, he had a hard time focusing for more than a few verses at a time. But uh, he was just taking little bits of wisdom to the Christian church and encouraging them 
in their faith. About the only thing that we don't really have a whole lot of, oh, well, we've got the book of prophecy in the, in the, a uh, lot of books of prophecy in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it would be, uh, you know, revelations. But the only book in the Old Testament that's very strong, though we don't have anything comparable in the New Testament, is the book of Psalms. Uh, so the Psalms is still a great book to go back and just read. It's all about praise and worship and, and uh, uh, very, very neat thing. So anyway, we're going to do James and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, his teachings to the church verse by verse as he kind of hops around kind of from subject to subject. So well, let's begin. James, he writes, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, we want to talk about who, who is James? Now, who you think James is... Uh, is uh, sometimes a, a little bit of a, of a debate if it's the Apostle James or uh, if it's the uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus who was in charge of the New Testament and stuff like that. Um, some debate that, but uh, I think it's pr- probably James, uh, one of the apostles. But uh, he says, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now specifically, James is writing to Jewish Christians. Hence the phrase, the 12 tribes. 12 tribes refers to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I don't know how many of you are aware of it, but uh, anyone who studies the New Testament will uh, quickly discover that in the beginning, Christianity was virtually an exclusive Jewish experience. In fact, they considered Christianity just to be kind of a sect of the Jews. In other words, uh, you know, just like you have, you know, Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Baptists, you know, then they had, you know, there there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and then there were these Christians. Again, uh, these people were very much uh, focused just on uh, Judaism, uh, Jewish people. In fact, in the beginning... They didn't really think non-Christians could even become Christians. That was, as you read the book of Acts, one of the major things in the history of the church is when through revelation, and, and, and we'll study that someday together, but through revelation and God doing all these things where they finally realized, you know, you don't have to be Jewish to get in on this deal. That was a big deal for them. I'm glad they did that because that lets us all in on the deal unless you happen to be Jewish. There's one or two of you out there, but there's not a whole lot of you. Um, so in the beginning, so it's really weird whenever I hear someone, you know, a Christian criticizing Jewish people. I think, how can you be so stupid and still breathe? You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> virtually every book is written by a Jewish guy in the New Testament. The whole New Testament was built primarily to Jewish people. And, uh, anyone, you know, and Jesus, he's a little Jewish. Uh, so, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm against Jews. I'm for, you know, God bless American Christian men. They're just idiots, people who talk like that, because they don't know what they're talking about. You can't possibly be a legitimate Christian and hate Jewish people. That's just absolutely absurd. I'm grateful that we are adopted in by faith into the Jewish family, which is essentially what Christianity is. You know, if you if you hate a Jew, there's something wrong with you. Because you are one by faith, is what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. That's essentially what all this is. We get in on the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by faith through Jesus Christ. So... Uh, in this particular time, he is writing to, which at the time, primarily, they were all Jewish people. That's why he wrote to the 12 tribes, uh, even though it was a, Christ, a Christian group. So, first thing he says to them is, greetings, hello. And then he goes off on his first bit of wisdom here. 
He writes and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you win the lottery. Is that what it says? Consider it pure joy when things go really, really good for you. Is that what it says? No, it says, Consider it pure joy when everything stinks in your life. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, when you first read that, you got to go, what are you talking about? Pure joy. I don't know too many people who consider it pure joy. Not just smile a little bit. I'd be happy if we got to that point. It's way beyond smiling. He says, consider it absolute pure joy. When you experience troubles of all kinds. Now you think, what in the world kind of thinking is that? Why, number one, would you even want trials and tribulations that would cause you to experience pure joy? And he goes on to explain why. And he says this, because you know that the testing of your faith, which is what happens when you go through hard times. It's the testing of your faith. You see, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's easy to praise the Lord when things are going well. It's easy to be celebrating Jesus when things are great in your life and you've got money in the bank and everybody's healthy and nothing's going wrong and you just got a raise. That's easy. Where it's hard is when things start going wrong and it starts what the Bible calls testing your faith because this is where you really find out what you're made of on the inside. Okay, when you go through some of these tests and trials, it's a lot harder if you just got fired to praise the Lord. It's a lot harder if your business is really struggling. It's a lot harder when your refrigerator is broken and now you got to spend money you weren't planning on. It's a lot harder when you have to work with a bunch of people that irritate the snot out of you. Okay, it makes it hard to be kind. But this is when you really find out who you are under pressure. When the heat comes, you know, people sometimes in the heat of the moment will, will say, you know, they'll react very badly and then they'll say, well, you know, the, you know that's not normally me. That's not really who I am and, and, and stuff like that. And I, and I go, no, no, that's, that's really who you are. That's the sad news. When the heat's really on and we kind of lose it, the reality is that that is, that, that is kind of who we are. And that's the point of that is for us to get a picture of, ooh, I guess I'm, I'm not so pretty. On the inside as I think I am. Um, you know, I sometimes really disappoint myself when I find out what a jerk I can be. And uh, they say, well, Pastor, you're, you're not a jerk. Ask the people who work for me. They, they see moments when I can be a real jerk and really lose it and get real short. Don't say amen over here. But uh, where, <laughs> where I could, you know, but that's kind of, you know, under the heat and the pressure. And I, and I get this flash and it's like, oh, I, I still need to grow. I still need to grow. I don't look at it as these are aberrations. I get a picture of this is Marky. You know, this is, this is why I need to discipline myself more and I need to be more committed to my faith and I need to meditate more on the word of God why I need to pray more is because I still <clears throat> am lacking in certain areas of my life. So, he says, you rejoice and consider these rough times pure joy because you know that this testing of your faith accomplishes something. And he says, what it accomplishes is, is that it develops perseverance. Now, it's kind of a big word. What what does perseverance mean? I I looked this up in the uh, dictionary. 
and I loved it. It was great. It says to ber- to ber- to persevere means to persist in a state of life or in the pursuit of an end or especially in an enterprise undertaken in spite of counter influences, opposition or discouragement. And I went, whoa, that, if that doesn't describe true Christianity, I mean, that really nails it. True Christianity is an enterprise undertaken in spite of counter-influences. We've got all kinds of counter-influences everywhere we look today in turn. In spite of opposition or in spite of discouragement. This is what is accomplished uh, in the attitude of persevering. Now, they knew, the reason why James said you should consider that such joy when you go through this testing and the heat is on in your life because it develops this attitude of perseverance. Why is that important? Because you can't do this if you don't got it. You see, no matter how wonderful you might think you are, no matter how holy you might perceive your thinking, no matter how, what a wonderful person you might think you are, well, I've been a Christian and I've, go, go, never, I've never missed church in 25 years. What, no matter what your picture might be, you can't truly live Christianity if you don't have an attitude of perseverance. I call it Chihuahua faith. You know what I'm talking about? Little chihuahua dogs. <laughs> little obnoxious little, you know. This is kind of like a gerbil with fur, you know, barking. A barking gerbil, you know. Zarr, rarr, rarr, rarr. And, and uh, they, the thing I get out of, kick out of uh, chihuahuas is, is uh, they, they don't know they're little. And they just are, they just, they'll freak you out. You know, just, rarr, 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 rarr. they'll bite something, they won't like go, rarr, 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 rarr. it's like, I could kill you, you stupid dog, you know, just it but it doesn't know that you know it doesn't care it has and I'm telling you if there's one attitude you're going to have if you're going to be a successful Christian is this chihuahua kind of faith where you have this attitude I can do this I can do this I can hang on very very important he says in verse 4 he says perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete not lacking anything in other words if you don't have it you cannot get to a place of being a mature complete non-lacking Christian Because the world will always try to knock you off course. People will always try to knock you off course. The devil will always try to knock you off course. You have to be absolutely deliberate and intentional in your faith if you're going to succeed as a Christian. And get to a place where you can just really walk in joy and God is really blessing your life. People often ask me questions like, you know, boy, how how did you ever... You know, get to this point in your life, or how did you ever do this in your life? Or a lot of times people say, you know, wow, you and Debbie have been married 34 years. How did you do that? I always say, on purpose. <laughs> That's how we did it, on purpose. People think it just happened. Well, it's wonderful that just happened for you. <laughs> you know, it didn't just happen. It happened on purpose, intentional. We're going to get here. We're going to stick it out. We're going to make this work. We're going to hang in there. Not because it's a constant state of bliss. I can promise you. Life has its challenges. Being in the pastor, pastorship. People say something. How can, how can you pass? I, get this, I just got the question again today. How can you pastor a church and, and travel and speak all around the country? How can you do that? How can you do that? On purpose. That's how. Deliberately. That's how. Anything in your life, if you're going to be successful, you guys who are successful in business and stuff, you know what I'm talking about. 
You got there on purpose. It didn't just happen to you. I don't know, maybe some, some of you, you know, found old money or something. And Aunt Susie left you a million bucks and you did something with it. Great, you know. But most people get to true success deliberately. In spite of opposition, in spite of tests, in spite of things going wrong, you just get this attitude. Seriously, we need we need more of that. I'm surprised, honestly, that in churches there aren't more entrepreneurs. And a lot of time, entrepreneurs don't they don't uh, they don't get interested in church, you know, because they're so busy running out there and stuff. But really, if, if there's ever an attitude of true Christianity, it's, it's really seen in the spirit of an entrepreneur. These are stubborn people who refuse to fail. And, and some of the greatest stories that you hear of successful people, it's like they were too stupid to know they should have quit. You know what I'm talking about? I love these biographies. You listen to these biographies and stuff. Well, listen to the biography channel and stuff. Especially when they do successful people. Not just, most of it's, you know, about Hollywood people. Who cares? I could care less. But when, but when they're doing stuff about, you know, successful businessmen or people who made something out of nothing. And how these people would fail miserably. I mean, to an, a point, it's, it's amazing. It, it, they didn't go jump off a bridge somewhere. Occasionally people do, you know. But I mean, it really is it's amazing. How they keep going. Who was that one guy that came here from Australia once and spoke at the church? That was years ago when I was first here. Peter uh, Daniels. Remember him? His story. What did he lost? Like millions of dollars the first time he tried to succeed. Then he went for it again. And lost even more money the second time. And then he says, then I tried it again. Lost even more money the third time. That's a lot of millions of dollars. Then he says, then I tried it again and it finally worked. You know. A lot of us, man, we lose three, four hundred bucks. We quit. Oh man, I didn't know it'd be this hard. I didn't, you know, intentional. Maybe you're not successful in business. Anyone who's ever successful in, in education, school, you know, you, how'd you get such good grades? On purpose. Everything in life is on purpose. We live in a country today, though, where people just think stuff. Just everybody should just be getting everything just because they're them. I shouldn't have to work for anything. I shouldn't have to be intentional about everything, anything. These are the people who live the most disturbed lives, who are always uh, discouraged. Life never seems to work for them. Never, things never seem to go their way. How come things don't work out for me ever, 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 ever? Uh, and they are mad at the world because they feel somebody owes them. You know, God owes them. The government owes them. Church owes them. Somebody, my parents owe me something, you know. But if you got that kind of thinking, you need to, you know, get a couple of swirlies. Clear out your head. <laughs> you know what a swirly is, right? <laughs> okay. That's, that's what I like about Green Bay. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> okay, so that's the whole thing. When you really understand how vital and important it is to have the spirit of intentionality, the spirit of persistence, and, and, and how vital it is for you to succeed, you start embracing the trials and tribulations because that's what gets you there. Does that make any sense now? See, rather than whining and freaking and crying when things go wrong, you start realizing, you know, this is important. I need to go through this because this is what's going to make me, you know, a chihuahua. 
for Jesus. This is the one that's going to make me intentional for God. Because when I get through this, it's going to make me stronger. When I go through this one, it'll make me stronger. Each step helps make me stronger. Then you quit freaking out every time you go through a test and a trial. You actually get to the point where James is talking about, where you consider it pure joy to get tested. Because you think, this is great. This is going to toughen me up. It's, uh, it's full contact, you know. Uh, some of you football guys that, uh, uh, you know, play football in, in, in high school or college or some of you professionally, you know, it, it doesn't really, you don't start really getting into shape until you really start smacking each other. You know, I would think, don't hit me. Let's wait till the season starts so I'll be fresh. <laughs> Wouldn't you think? You know, I don't know if you pound on me, isn't that going to make it worse? And I, you know, that's because I'm a girly man. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a real player knows no you have got to get smacked around you've got to get into what they call you know mid-season form the only way you get there is when people start just knocking the snot out of you or you knock it out of them and they're hitting each other and pounding on each other and it makes them tougher it makes them stronger it makes them faster it makes them more productive because they've gone through the pounding You can't get there if you don't go through the pounding. Even though you think, well, gee, I'd be more fresh if you didn't pound on me. No, you're not more fresh. It makes you stronger when you go through trials and tests. Okay? You got that one? Moving on to the next point. Now all of a sudden he just changes channels. He'll do this through the whole book. You know, it's like he's almost schizophrenic, but he's not. He's just, it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. You know, jump from subject to subject. So we're at verse 5 now. And he changes the channel. He starts talking about wisdom. And he says this, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Now, this whole idea of wisdom is so critical, particularly in today's Christian culture because most people don't want wisdom. They want detailed instruction. Are you hearing me? People don't know what to do and say, God, show me what to do. How many times I've heard people say, I'm just waiting for God to show me what to do. God, to tell me what to do. God, you know, and some of the people, I've met people who've sat around and wasted 10, 15, 20, 25 years of their life doing nothing in their faith because they say, I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. And they are making a huge mistake. If you're at a point of your life where you're not sure what to do, be it a major change or just a little thing. The Bible says you should ask God for wisdom. But we don't want wisdom, we want detailed instruction. What what is wisdom? Wisdom is uh, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil, even the ability to distinguish between good and better. What's the best course for me. This is the spirit of wisdom. God says if you don't know what to do, pray that God will give you wisdom, the ability to discern and to choose and it will be given you. But you still have to choose. And that's where people freak out. Because people don't like to choose. They don't want to have to make decisions. They're afraid that if they make decisions, they'll be held accountable to those decisions. Ta-da, yep, that's right. We all will be held accountable. That's what judgment day is for. If God were to tell you every little puking thing to do, then what's judgment day for? 
other than to see whether you did it? No, it's, it's what did you do with your life? Did you pray? Did you ask wisdom? Did you make good choices? Based, I'll tell, I'm telling you, God is more glorified when people can take the principles of the Bible and make good, healthy decisions for their lives than God having to tell you every little thing to do. Now, does that mean God will never speak to people to tell them what to do? Of course not. Sometimes he does. Sometimes God will be very specific in your life and uh, boom, you know, God, you know I, I hear people who say, you know, and I believe them. Man, God spoke to me to do such and such. I usually don't get that. I wish I were more spiritual. I, but I don't. I don't. I've, I've gotten a few like, don't do that. I've forgotten that. <laughs> Have you ever gotten that? You know, that I go, stop, you know, that I've gotten. But I'd never really gotten the, you know, Mark, go to such and such and turn left and go down the road and do this with your life, you know. People say to me, I'm so glad God told you to come to Green Bay. He didn't really tell me. I believe he led me here. I believe he gave me wisdom to make some good choices. When we moved to Stevens Point, people say, I'm so glad God spoke to you to come to Stevens Point. God didn't speak to us to come to Stevens Point. All you got to do is look at our heel marks dragging us all the way from Green Bay to Stevens Point. We didn't, we didn't want to come to Stevens Point. Why did you come? Yeah, because we felt that was the best decision for us. And even then, God's always been very good to us. It's usually the only decision left to make. You ever hear people say, you know, I don't know what else to do. There's only this to do. I don't know what else to do. What do I do? That. <laughs> Why is this hard? I tell you, the way, I tell, God, usually the way he leads me is he closes every door and window in the house and opens up one door and then lights the house on fire. <laughs> and I suddenly feel led. Let's see, I, choose, I can stay here and die or go through the door. Die, go through the door. I guess I'll go through the door. I'm so glad God spoke to you to go through the door. He didn't. I just didn't want to die. All right? Now, I wish I was more spiritual than that, but I'm not. And the reality is I really think that's true spirituality anyway. That's really true faith. Honestly, man, if you knew that you knew that you knew the next step to make because of some divine revelation, that would be easy. Man, that's a slam dunk. I'll take that any day. If I absolutely knew what to do tomorrow, woohoo, that would be great. The thing is, is I'm not really sure. We get together and we pray. And we ask God for wisdom. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. We seek out wisdom. We get together. We bounce ideas around in our staff. What do you guys think? I don't know what you think. I don't know what you think. Ding, ding, ding. This, this, this. And we pray that God give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because we need to make a decision. The good news is James says, look, if you don't know what to do, pray. God will give you the wisdom. But if you misunderstand that and think, no, no, I'm, I'm going to wait until God tells us what to do there you are nowhere and you'll freeze and you'll be paralyzed you'll be like you know what's sad today is is for for decades I've seen people in in Christian churches who actually praise that mentality it's wonderful he hasn't done anything in 20 years waiting for God to say that's wonderful obedience that's not wonderful obedience to me that's just stupid it's just stupid I'm serious I think there's going to be some serious butt kicking going on judgment day God is not going to be happy about this. You know that parable where Jesus gave talents to different people and people went out and did different things? Well, the one guy, he was afraid. This is the guy waiting for God to tell him what to do. He was afraid, he was afraid. Jesus said when the servant comes, when the master comes back, that servant's going to be in some hot water. 
Throw him out with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be some serious weeping and gnashing going on someday to people who would never wanted to act because they got this. And some of them, sadly, it's not because of their hearts. They've gotten some really bad teaching in the church on this. Don't be sitting around waiting for some kind of form of divine revelation for your life. You're not sure what to do with your kids, with your... You know, get wisdom. Seek wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Wisdom is the thing that will bless and transform your life. But it's not always exact answers. It's principles and perspectives that you get so that you can use godly perspective to make the right decisions. And when you do that, that's when God gets the most glory. Absolutely convinced of it. Oh, I can already feel myself going on a side turn here, but that's okay. It's my church. (laughs) It's like the head guy can't holler at me. I am the head guy. Uh, But, you know, people sometimes say, you know, why did God make earth? Why, Why are we here? Why are we even here? I am absolutely convinced that one of the reasons we're even on this on this planet is so that all of creation can see what happens when people live by God's principles or against God's principles. I'm absolutely convinced of it. You have to remember there was this big fight. Big fight in heaven. For who knows how long eternity was going on before earth came along. It could have been gazillions of years. Satan and everybody was all running around. Everybody was happy praising God. And at some point Satan got so full of himself. That he wanted to be in charge. But then he went around and convinced one third of heaven. I can see him convincing a third of us because we don't have heaven. You know, we're kind of walking around in a fog. You know, we must be easy targets for him. But this dude convinced one third of people in heaven who were with God, where everything was clear. He convinced a third of them to turn their back on God and rebel against God. Whoa, that's pretty impressive. You got to give the guy his due. He's a good liar. Now, the Bible never tells us what he told them. But I extrapolate. I think what he told them was the same thing you hear all the time in your head. God doesn't care about you. God's answers don't work. God's principles won't work. You can't really trust Jesus. You know, do it yourself. I got a better way. And I think what happened is after this big fight, God, the Bible says God kicked Satan and all of uh, his angels that rebelled out of heaven. And then all of a sudden we see God comes to earth and he rolls back the water and he starts playing in the dirt and I think everybody in heaven is going what are you doing remember this, we're, we're like in the big it's like intermission for eternity right now we are in, in, in the intermission of this huge battle between good and evil Satan's not in hell people, people think the devil's walking around in hell he's not in hell I wish he was in hell he's going to go to hell I promise you and he knows it But he's not there now. He's wandering around. Him and all his little nitwit friends. There's this huge pause in eternity. This big battle. God kicks them all out. And then he comes and starts playing in the dirt. And he starts making chickens and squirrels and frogs and flies and flowers and all these things. And all this beautiful. And then he sits down and he makes people. And the devil looks at him and says, What is this? What is he doing? We're in the middle of a battle. He's playing in the dirt. And the devil hated Adam and Eve when he saw them. Because they were made in the image of God. They reminded him of God. That's one of the reasons the devil hates you. You just remind him of God. There's, there's enough of you that reminds him of God that just, just he just despises you, hates you. 
So he sets out to trip up Adam and Eve. He's so arrogant he won't even go himself. He sends a serpent. I have no idea what it looked like. We know what it looks like now. It's turned it into a snake. And God kicked his butt. When God kicks your butt, you lose your butt altogether. You're just a snake on the ground. <laughs> Completely buttless. Just zooming around on the ground. A buttless thing. But he sends this serpent, you know, and influences this serpent to go lie to, to Eve. And she went, yeah, okay. And Adam goes, oh, sounds good to me. Here's the mess we're in today. But even in the midst of this, God demonstrated his love so much. And I'm sure one of the other things that, that's, that Satan was always saying to people is God doesn't really care about you, see. And then before all of eternity, with nothing but these little tiny weak creatures, we can't fly, we can't walk through walls, we get tired, we sleep. I bet you the first time the devil saw this, what, what is this? They're laying down, what is this? They gotta sleep, what, what weak creatures? And to these weak creatures, God sends his own son, becomes man sacrifices everything for these he just demonstrates to all of you see remember all of eternity is watching this it's intermission and he demonstrates his love for these simple creatures you and me and he says I'll take the rap for all of them so they can all be forgiven if they'll just trust me I mean this is, this is a deal off the chart you talk about business deals this is the best business deal you'll ever get Somebody else is going to pay your debt, your sin debt for eternity. And you don't have to do anything. But just trust him. Man, this rocks. This is a great deal. If you haven't gotten in on this deal, you need to get in on this deal. Because it doesn't get any better than this. And now we have people who can truly know God and stuff. And every time since the beginning of time that, that God made Adam and Eve. Every time a person takes God's principles and makes the right decisions and does the right things and builds right families and right lives and succeed. All of heaven is watching that going, wow, that's cool. You see, I don't think God would be so glorified if he just went and told everybody what to do. There's no glory in that. All of eternity is, well, just tell them what to do. That's why they're succeeding. He is proving. Every day you will trust God. You are proving to eternity that God's promises work. This is some pretty wild stuff. When you, if you just sit and think about it for a while, it'll just kind of fry your brain. Which for some of us is a pretty short fry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. I'm already done. I'm out of time. So we'll pick it up again here next Wednesday. Am I here next Wednesday? I think I'm here next Wednesday. You're saying no. Where am I? Oh, we don't, we don't know where I am. I think I'll be here next Wednesday. Okay. I got to be here because I got to keep doing this. So let's all stand. And... Uh, I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer right now. You know, it's so much fun to take a look at the scriptures and to see what God's plan is for us and how we can truly know God. Every time you look in the Bible and you take it and, and you can learn so much about what God is doing. But you can't, none of this really means anything if, if you don't have this relationship with Jesus. If you don't know God in your life. I'd like you all to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me. If you're here tonight and you have never ever asked Jesus Christ into your life and surrendered your heart to him. I want us all to pray this prayer together. And if you will pray this prayer and mean this from the bottom of your heart. You can start having this wonderful walk. And you can start experiencing all these great things God has for you. As you learn to trust him through your tests and trials of life. 
and really see what God can do in your life. It's a wonderful thing. You can get in on this great, great deal in life where your sins can be forgiven by putting your trust in Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I surrender to you this evening. And I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to truly know you. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. You say, is it that easy? Well, it's not easy. But it's that simple. That's just the beginning step. You start by asking God to forgive you and then you start to grow in faith. What we've been talking about tonight. If you pray that prayer for the very first time, I have a book I'd love to give you. It's called Getting Started in Your New Life with Jesus at the uh, guest register counter. If you just go up there and say, hey, I'd like a free copy of that book. They'll give it to you. It's a great little book written by my brother Ed, uh, who's also in ministry. It'll answer questions about the Bible and how to pray and how to get to know God. So make sure you stop by and get a free copy of that book. Sorry I went a little long. I got carried away tonight. but uh, That's okay.